Good afternoon. You are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is the show where we dog our art from the past and art from the present to understand how we've expressed ourselves through time. And this week is the third and final part of our Tutankhamun trilogy. I have been raving about the Saatchi Gallery's exhibition, Tutankhamun, Treasures of the Golden Pharaoh, which is on until the 3rd of May. And this week I had the second half of my interview with the incredibly talented Kate Doherty, who was asked by the gallery to create a series of works exploring her personal response to the exhibition. And Kate speaks about watching open heart surgery, ideas of hope amongst tragedy in human cultures and the importance of symbology. But before we get to that, I thought it'd be a good idea in the context of Kate's interview to speak a little bit about the art, because I believe it totally was an art, of mummification. So brace yourself, things are about to get weird. So mummification is essentially the treating or embalming of a dead body using a particular process that is to prepare the deceased for the afterlife in ancient Egyptian culture. Now, the body would be dehydrated to prevent decay and wrapped many, many, many times. And it was such a successful method of preservation that we can still see mummified bodies of the ancient Egyptians from thousands of years ago and see what they actually could have looked like if they were alive today. I mean, that's pretty amazing for thousands of years ago. But not everyone would have been mummified. It was a process reserved for the privileged few. And this meant your pharaohs, your nobility, and essentially your rich people. But sometimes animals were also mummified too. And I'm sure you've heard of the mummification of some cats in ancient Egyptian culture. There's a fantastic display of a cat um, on at the Fitzwilliam Museum if you go to their Egyptian department too. So definitely check that out. So what was the reason for preserving the body? It was seen as incredibly important to do so because the body was home to the ka, spelt K-A, along with the ba and ah, which were components of the person's spiritual existence. And they ensured that the person would live on immortalised in the afterlife. So you had to make sure you took care of all three of those things. All right, so I'm going to talk about the process. There are variances to the process throughout the 2000 years, but this is a very sort of general practice. Now we start with the removal of the organs. Now the whole process takes about 70 days. So each thing is done meticulously. And the first of these things, as I said, removal of the organs now we're talking about the brain it was pulled from a long hook out of the body this is the gruesome part you've probably heard of or at least learnt about in school and in my discussion with Kate she talks about how the brain wasn't seen as the home of emotion or decision or intelligence that was the heart So the rest of the organs were then removed and then cut by a cut in the left side of the body. And this included the stomach, liver, lungs and intestines, which were placed in canopic jars and buried alongside the mummy as well. And they're actually placed back in inside the chest cavity after they were wrapped in later years of mummification. Now, of course, you had to dry the body. So to remove the moisture from the body, this was done by covering it with a salt called natron. And you also put packets of the salt inside as well. Now, once the drying had taken place, you remove the salt, you wash the body and to make it appear a little bit more lifelike or a bit creepy, but you would put, fill it with linen and false eyes to make those sort of deformed or sunken areas look a little bit more powdered out. 
out. Feeling a bit queasy? Yeah, me too, a little bit. Uh, next, you wrapped the body in linen. And this was this included hundreds and hundreds of yards of it too. This was, you know, you put amulets as well for protection inside the different layers. For example, the scarab beetle symbolises the restoration of life. This was a very important amulet. So these are all placed inside the bandages. And of course, you've got the masks, which are also placed on top of the deceased or on top of the mummy and Tutankhamun's golden mask is probably the most important. Now, resin was also coated and wrapped around the body before the next layers of linen. So you've got linen, amulet, resin, next layer of linen, and this process was repeated. Now, of course, you. while this is going on, many people are preparing the tomb with paintings and carvings and spells. And of course, the priest does the opening of the mouth ceremony, which is where the priest essentially opens the mummy to receive the spirits of the afterlife. And so they can enjoy the same sensations they have had while being alive. So if they touch the mouth, that means the person could eat and speak. And then the mummy is placed in the tomb again. So as I said, you know, covered with beautiful decorations and all of their lovely possessions. Oh, that uh, is very, I said that very, very fast, but uh, yeah, I hope I hope you enjoyed that. I think it is definitely an art form, very complicated, much more than I've sort of described there. There's so many more intricacies to it, but yes, that is the basic technique of mummification. Now, I it's time for my part two interview with Kate Dordy, who has, as I said, some incredibly exciting ideas to talk about, and behind her work, it wasn't all that at the Sarch Gallery. So here is Kate. Enjoy. So this is my first uh, kind of uh, response to the treasure of Tutankhamun. And then, um, uh, so here you uh, can't see a film, which is, it's in a kind of frame, which is in the shape of a heart ideogram, a heart hieroglyph. Um, And this is a film, a close-up film of an open heart surgery. For this question of um, mummification, I thought this was also very interesting to look into questions of sort of life and death uh, in ancient Egypt and and now. And I suppose uh, surgical intervention, Mm. other people's intervention in prolonging or maintaining or altering the form of our existence on this earth. So uh, in ancient Egypt, the pharaohs were mummified by priests who, like now, they had a sort of standard of procedure. Um, There were forms that they had to follow. There there were rules. You know, it wasn't just kind of casually done. Of course, you know. Here's a syringe. (laughs) And the way that they saw life and death in ancient Egypt was just a sort of passage onto another part of your existence on this kind of chain of being, as it were. And so I thought it would be interesting to look into uh, an analogy between um, open heart surgery where the person actually, I mean, medically dies yeah. and comes back to life yeah. and mummification where you actually do yeah. die and come back to life. Um, in theory, yeah. In, in theory. And so I, I went to the Hammersmith Cardiology Unit and had the good fortune to witness five heart bypass uh, surgeries. Wow. Um, As in you were actually there? In yeah, the, yeah, I oh scrubbed up. And okay, tell me more about that experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And so the, the medical staff there were very kind to invite me to, oh. to come in and see this. And, um, and so, so yeah, you know, there's um, one lady, she came in and she uh, she had had a heart attack and they cut down 
the front of her, uh, got a circular saw and drilled her, you know, uh, sawed her open. Yeah. They get the retractor and pull it, oh, you know, pull open goodness. the ribs, and there's your heart. You just expose completely. And, um, and wow. there's, uh, there's, I suppose, between sort of 14 and 16 people there, or the medical, there's two surgeons and the nurses and the anaesthetists. And the artists. And the artists. <laughs> and so I found this to be an absolutely extraordinary experience. And while I was talking, while I was there, I was talking with the, um, we all became very good friends, actually, with all of these uh, doctors and wow. surgeons. And... Uh, <laughs> So they all show up in my studio with like bottles of wine. And oh, fantastic! <laughs> hey, and we discuss matters of life and death, and, uh, oh my and so on. It's very interesting. So here, that is absolutely there's incredible. a whole load of surgical equipment. There's every kind of, uh, um, I suppose, off-location heart surgery equipment here, mm. uh, and a film uh, of the heart surgery itself. And here is the ancient Egyptian side of it. So there's an awful lot of ancient Egyptian medical equipment and surgical equipment that has come down to us because yeah, yeah. the um, ancient Egyptians believed that anything that had had anything to do with the dead body um, had become sacred also. So it should be taken with them in the afterlife. Yeah, so they, so sure. they buried all of the surgical equipment and bandages in a jar, wow. not in the tomb, but near to the tomb mm. and so there's awful lot of this these are scalpels um, and uh, um, again you've used felt as well for these on the just yeah, to give the listeners sort of a, a visual and then yeah, here are these that. kind of twirly things that look a bit like uh, f uh, ferns yeah, yeah. these are in fact the long nozzly sticks that you would um, inside the nostrils and pull the, <laughs> pull the brains out. Yeah. They throw the brain away because the brain was considered to be a sort of disloyal servant. Because oh. you, could teach, you can teach things to your brain mm. and therefore it's not, um, it, it, its loyalty is questionable. Oh, you it's can not learn like things. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, because it the, can be swayed and therefore, oh my goodness, that's so interesting. Whereas the heart is true and loyal and will always guide you. Oh, that is fantastic. <laughs> I kind of love that. It's the whole heart overhead, isn't it? Um, yeah. That we know now today. See, uh, these things translate in today's society, I think, just as well. This is a little cup. So within um, uh, four years of the tomb being closed, mm. being sealed, as it were, the, the, it was burgled twice. And uh, probably the, um, the burglary was organised by um, the people who had actually buried Tutankhamun. And this is often what happened. Although, as a parenthesis, there was a sustained policy of tomb raiding that lasted for sort of no 2,000 years. So that's why there's very few tombs um, left. There's even families of tomb raiders who um, who know who used to know where the tombs were, oh and uh, and you could hire them and they'd oh steal God, all the stuff the out of the tomb tombs. raider. So they brought back loads and loads of mummies to England, oh my God. and they would sell them. I found all these records that they have at, um, at the library, at the Griffith Institute, mm. uh, all these records of um, companies in Liverpool where you could buy um, mummies by oh. the ton. Oh, and my And they goodness. were used as fertiliser um, on the fields of England. So were they particularly effective as fertiliser? I think <laughs> that is expensive fertiliser. Well, I mean, not back then, no, it wasn't. but now. It was cheap, yeah. Oh, um, so anyway, the point is that um, the tomb was raided twice, yeah. and, um, and they stole 
a few things. Um, what they were really looking for was stuff that wasn't um, sort of recognisable as coming from Tutankhamun's tomb, mm -hmm. um, and that was sort of easy to sell. Unbranded um, treasure. <laughs> so it's a little faience cup mm. that was found in 1905 by this um, uh, archaeologist called Theodore Davis. Um, and it says Tutankhamun on it. So that mm -hmm. um, this was completely hot. So when they came out of the tomb, uh, they must have seen this cup and gone like, oh my God. His name's Get rid of it. And yeah. it wasn't glass, it was just clay. But for some reason, they didn't destroy it. They hid it under a rock. And, this, uh, and it was about 45 yards from the entrance to Tutankhamun. So when, Tutankhamun's tomb. So when Theodore Davis found this cup, he at last had proof that Tutankhamun actually existed because this was the first time his mm. name had been seen yeah. since he was buried. So okay. here are, here's a wall of eyes. This is a literal, I'm going to describe it, this is a literal wall of people's eyes on, um, are they iPads? T TV screen On screens? They're just um, kind of floating on a black background. And Kate is lighting them up for me now. Oh my goodness. Okay, talk me through this. Um, so this, this is, is fab. Um, this is called the night of the counting of years. Um, when you died, your, um, your soul would be judged at a court, the sort of first court of the afterlife. Mm. And, uh, and I liked the idea of having a, having a wall, like a, as it were, as of a Greek chorus. Sure. You know, or, and it, having a sort of slightly nightmarish but possibly reassuring at the same time context this idea of perhaps a kind of group consciousness i worked with this amazing makeup artist called emma Byrne, and we researched ancient uh, egyptian eye fashions and hieroglyphs I mean, these wow. are all the people who really helped me with the show so i put them there first and um, the ancient Egyptians used this eye makeup to um, deflect the sun's rays. They're like sunglasses. That's why they wore the black around the eyes. Wait, wait, it wait, wait, you're the... blowing my mind. <laughs> That's true, really. Yeah. Because it absorbs the light so that it doesn't enter mm. the eye. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and also this, um, they used um, Galena, this uh, product, which, um, which also has sort of antiseptic. Um, qualities and sort of cooling and antiseptic qualities so so it's like sunglasses really of course these are just practical things about living in a desert country another thing that I found very interesting was average life expectancy in ancient Egypt at this time at the time of Tutankhamun was 35 years old the most common cause of death was tooth decay um, Fascinating. And, the, and the reason why they had such terrible mm. tooth decay was uh, because it's a desert country and quite windy, uh, you'd always have sand in your food. And so everything that you ate had sand on it. You were oh, grinding you're your just teeth constantly down. eroding. That's absolutely fascinating. So I was talking to this incredible the the mummy expert yes. at the British Museum, as one does. Oh, oh and, uh, <laughs> and he was <laughs> he was telling me all about you know you see in in most mummies there's sort of abscesses sort of in the jaw yeah. uh, that come from in infections grinding. from the grinding grinding of the goodness me I thought you were going to say something food. like childbirth or something but no no God go to your dentists people I liked this um, I, I I love and um, and strongly identify with the ancient Egyptian closeness to nature I find it really um, uh, reassuring and um, and they had a very deep understanding of the 
the stars and the movement of the uh, sun and all that. But there was, a, there was a little period where they had a gap and they didn't understand about the cycles of the moon. And this I loved because they would write these little poems saying, little moon, you were so big and red yesterday. Where will you be tomorrow and what shape? Do you know? And wow, they just, just didn't understand. Oh so I goodness. put this little moon there to, be, uh, to, 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 to remind us that we, we really so. don't understand everything. Yeah. Um, and it's sewn onto a, uh, a cloth. It comes from China. Um, it's made of reconstituted oyster shells. And I liked that the, the association of the moon and the oysters Absolutely. and just the whole thing just was very wonderful to me. Uh, yeah, I when guess it's like different kinds onto? of uh, quality of yeah. felt, different colours. It's layered sewn and sewn yes, exactly. and it's absolutely beautiful and different kind of sizes of, um, well, different representations of the moon um, in its dark phase and in its bright phase. and. And because I have such a love of nature, I suppose one of the problems of being a sort of visual artist um, is that nothing that you can make will ever be as beautiful as the smallest accident yeah. of nature. You oh know? my goodness, what a wonderful way to say that. You're right. <laughs> so I kind of, I like to um, uh, uh, underline the artificiality of my work. So mm. I, the, that's why there's the text and the explanations all around the room. Okay. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like showing the recipe as it were. Yeah, and you're not trying to replicate in any way. Yeah. You're just trying to- Just um, sort of pay a homage or yes. bring up some interesting points and questions. Beautiful. Um, this is a work about noted absence. There's, um, yes. a few of them are missing. Um, this is, I suppose, the-, the Ironically, <laughs> some of them are missing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the raided uh, tomb. You know, yeah. again, you know, this narrative of these sort of heroic uh, archeologists, you know, yeah. basically they're violating a young boy's tomb and stealing everything from mm -hmm. inside it. And, and disrupting his passage of death as well, uh, in, yeah. in essence, which is, I mean, the worst thing you can do, I assume, but. Yeah. yeah. So I um, so here I suppose I'm I'm looking at um, what does it mean to um, to have have done this to 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 this particular tomb, but also to so many mm. um, wonderful sites of uh, world heritage, where we just sort of storm in and steal things mm. and put them in museums and um, uh, and then don't think about them anymore and lose the context. So this is I suppose mm. the sort of looking at the it also looks a bit like a city so it's like sleeping sort of calmly through all of these kind of violations sure, of, yeah. of one another's memory um and here similarly this is a drone video um uh, taken by the russians to congratulate their troops on the good job they did in homs in syria um <sighs> And so this, well, we're uh, looking at a video of devastation, essentially, aren't we? What I'm questioning, I suppose, with this work is downstairs, we're celebrating and thinking and talking about uh, this one man, Tutankhamun. And yet here we can see the lives of tens of thousands of people who have been completely destroyed and, and we mm. don't think about them at all mm. or mention their names. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, and it's that whole idea of in the individual as well, isn't it? Which you mentioned, we, we sort of glorify this one individual, um, which can 
distract from the fact that um, everybody is, as you said, as important as everyone yeah. else and, and we don't always... I also want to describe a little bit just the, so the listeners can get the visuality. So what we're looking at is essentially um, display cases like one might find in a traditional gallery setting, um, but there is a absence of uh, items or objects yeah, there's no item, no object, no, uh, no, no label. Yeah, it's just yeah, and there's a, a noted nothing, a yes. noted absence. Absolutely. <laughs> so from this city and from Aleppo and uh, Damascus, for this previous project I was telling you about, this human identity project, mm. we commissioned uh, a, a kind of community project uh, for creating work to put on this tent, mm. um, which is made out of crochet, these crochet circles that you can see here. Right. And so we, um, we got ladies from Syria to make us crochet circles to sew onto this tent. Mm. But also in this way, we were able to provide them with a means of living 60 families are still living off this crochet project wow. <laughs> yeah. oh my because it's impossible to earn a living in a place like this I mean. um, but it's also uh, so, so that in itself is a project that's a project about hope because you would never think that you could keep 60 families fed with making colored yeah, wool yeah, doilies yeah. and yeah. putting them in an art gallery in London mm. these ladies are living literally in places like this and yet you ask them to create something and they can find it in them to and manage they, and they make those really that. joyful oh that makes me want to cry incredible yeah. colored mm. exuberant uh uplifting little objects you're right there there's so, a, a human uh, uh, the human um ability to be hopeful in complete and utter devastation is is something that is very powerful. Yeah, so That's I'm amazing. looking at that a lot in my work, I suppose. Yeah. Um, these are psychological yeah. landscapes when I've, of course, you know, I spent like a year um, thinking about all of this. Sure. And I so just described there are four big, it's the same paper that we talked about earlier that the fireworks um, were displayed on. And well, I'll let you describe them, but they're, how was that, a metre point five squared? Yeah, I guess it's like one point, yeah, almost yeah. eight, I think. Yeah, they're quite wow. big. There's four of them, and I made loads more, actually. But they're, um, I suppose, during the time when I was working on this exhibition, I was always dreaming about ancient Egypt, and I'm obsessed with maps. Mm. Um, so this is a map, an aerial view of the canopic jars. Um, I, uh, this is an aerial view of the tomb of Tutankhamun with the corridor and the, the rooms coming off the end of it. And uh, these are cartouches uh, of Tutankhamun and of his wife. These are the seals of the priests from the door. They, when they, uh, the door of the tomb was sealed by yes. the priests, and so they stamped it. So these are two Legit. priests. Legit. <laughs> yes. Oh, these uh, arrows, I suppose, represent decisions and choices that we make all the way through our life that affect how we see things of course. And, uh, and what we do. And this is an ancient Egyptian sign-off. So like we say, yours sincerely, they say, <laughs> kissing the earth for your name. Oh, I love that. I might start using that in emails. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> kissing the earth for your name. That is fantastic. There's a lot of um, hand symbology as well. Is this something mm. that was particularly important to you? As, as I don't well, know, the handprint is such a visceral symbol of humanity, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, and I've also recently become very interested in Aboriginal art and mm. sort of prehistoric art, and there's mm. always these hands. Absolutely. 
This is, wow. um, this is the River Nile. Um, oh my goodness yeah i see it now i was i was trying to work out this grab my attention first this um installation and i was trying to work out what it is but now of course it is the river nile um and so this is a work fun. about making and unmaking and about i suppose overcoming obstacles mm. and also about the ancient egyptian relationship with the nile which of course they the lifeblood of yeah yeah quite literally so the work is sort of falling onto a platform um but she's cut it sort of felt spirals you could say that represent that fizzing water that comes off of the pebbles and it is absolutely beautiful i suppose another thing that i think of when i'm doing a, a this response to the treasure of tutankhamen you think about the ephemeral nature of our life on this earth and um and this is a cloud i chose to do it because of this wonderful poem by uh, brecht i love bertolt brecht no? okay, would you mind reading it on a certain day in the blue moon month of september beneath a young plum tree quietly i held her there my quiet pale beloved in my arms just like a graceful dream and over us in the beautiful summer sky there was a cloud on which my gaze rested it was very white and so immensely high and when i looked up it had disappeared. At any time in history, um, at any point in the sort of long string of time that mm. we're maybe on, maybe not on. Mm, yeah, um, I mean, quite literally. Yeah. We, we're not here for long. And I like to think about that. <laughs> yeah, I think absolutely that, well, that fleet. I think we need to think about it as well, don't we? Yeah. I think it's important that, um, that we, you know, it's that whole live for the moment is such a, um, you know, cliched thing to say but it's so true and, and those kind of um, transient moments things are fleeting um, beauty and pain are both fleeting and we we remember we need to remember that uh, to survive I think mm. um, I've got an app fun. on my phone which is called we croak and it sends me five random text messages a day saying remember you're gonna die <laughs> I love that some people might think that's really morbid I think that's absolutely fantastic yeah. right, when we finish this interview I need you to send me all of the things that we've talked about today I'm not actually joking it depresses the children they're like no where's it not? it's the opposite it's depressing though it's yes. quite the opposite it's exactly. saying live for the moment you know YOLO as it were you only live once but you literally do and sometimes when you're caught up in god they got my coffee order wrong and I'm really upset about it and you just think no you're gonna die like let's have some perspective <laughs> I think that's fantastic Sorry, yeah, so this is a on. video of um, the sacking of the tomb so mm. so you can see the objects coming out of the tomb yeah and this I suppose brings up for me the sort of broader uh, subject of how the past never remains in the past mm. and um, and I put the typewriter here and the desk to look like of course there were people noting everything as it sure, came out of the tomb absolutely. but also it's this idea of writing and rewriting narrative and yeah. i suppose to every event in our lives we bring our new selves every day and our new perception of that of that truth mm. and of that way of being and so this is i suppose a work about um about that mm. um and here we have the sun the beloved son of Akhenaten. So this and, is again, um, this is the layered felt technique, similar to what you've done with the moon. But mm. It's beautiful, vibrant yellow colours. And you can see it's sort of padded. Yeah. Which um, I, I, um, I work with this upholsterer who I really, 
I really like. And, uh, and so I, he works really weird hours like I do. So, I, so sometimes I go over to his, to his um, workshop at like five o'clock in the morning. And he starts work at 12 o'clock at night oh and stops at God. nine, you know. I so, mean, yeah. Wow. Anyway, so we kind of, we raised this. So it's got a sort of profile, almost yeah. like a sort of blister. But anyway, I love this song. Yeah, I love that. So this idea is that you know, if you go around in this order, and there's a sort of red altar in front of it uh, that uh, you leave with this idea of um, the sun sort of uh, filling your being and that this yeah. idea of being sort of made to feel valuable, I suppose. Absolutely. And it's the same sun that they would have seen 3,500 years ago. Like, exactly. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? It is, the con it is the ultimate connecting factor. Exactly. So everything is connected. Oh That's my goodness. <laughs> I mean, I can't say enough good things about this exhibition. Kate, thank you so much for talking to it me. It's really and nice for showing me around this beautiful <laughs> exhibition. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that response from Kate. What an amazing, modern and beautiful response to an ancient civilization. I thought that was really, really cool and very fitting with the art then and now theme. You can see Kate's exhibition, It Wasn't That At All, on the second floor of the Saatchi Gallery until the 3rd of May. You can buy tickets at saatchigallery.com or tutankhamun-london.com. Kate's project and my my brother's keeper is also touring Spain and is part of the school syllabus. God, she's so cool. And her limited edition hand finished book, I'm Easy to Find, is also available to buy at Saatchi Gallery, Selfridges, and on Amazon. So visit her website, katedaudy.com, to find out more about what's going on with her. Oh, and she's also working on a large scale installation for the Yorkshire Sculpture Park as well. So watch this space. Kate Daudy is taking over, and you know, good on her. She's absolutely wonderful. I loved interviewing her so much. That is unfortunately all we've got time for this afternoon. So thank you so much for listening to Art Then and Now with me, Anna Gammons. To contact the show, please visit Anna Gammons Art on Instagram where you can send me a message and there will be sneaky peeks on what's coming up on each week's show too. So see you next week at 3.30 on Resonance 104.4 FM. Bye for now.